I acknowledge the Turbal people, traditional custodians on the lands where this episode was recorded. I pay my respects to their ongoing survival and connection to culture, despite what happened to their mob during colonisation. A history I encourage all listeners to read about. Apparently in Australia, we throw out 7.6 million tonnes of food. Homelessness in Brisbane is incredibly high. To know that we made a difference in their day, that is priceless. As a nation, we don't like to look truthfully at what is right in front of us. It's incredibly humbling, embarrassing, shameful when you as a person maybe aren't able to kind of manage what society tells us are the most basic things that we should know how to do. How do we find true meaning and connection in life? I'm on a quest to meet people who have found connection and meaning in their life. People who make time for something that has value and purpose or makes them feel joyful and alive. I'm convinced that through meeting these people, I'll find one thing I can be doing to bring more connection and meaning into my life. So I quit my job, bought a pop-up camping trailer, and I'm heading off on a journey around Australia to see what other people are doing. My name is Kai, and I'm on a journey towards connection. What's happening over here? Pork. Pork, pork and more pork. And, and what are you doing with the pork? It is already roasted. We're just slicing it so we can pack it. Well, you don't have to go to the gym now. Absolutely. You can skip your Saturday night plans of gym and just go straight for the wine, I think. <laughs> pork, then wine. Sounds like a divine Saturday. Are you doing like a quality control to make sure they're all the same size or are you just going for gold? We actually believe they may be getting thicker as we go along. <laughs> like me, I get thicker as I go along in life. <laughs> so what you can hear is me spending a hot Saturday afternoon in a busy industrial kitchen in a private school in Brisbane. Along with a dozen volunteers, I helped cut, cook and package 350 meals, which we then took out to two different locations in Brisbane to serve to anyone who needed a hot and healthy meal that day. Annette, do you want me to help? No. Oh. <laughs> I'll turn the rest. microphone off. You rest. You rest. <laughs> I'll turn the microphone off and I'll help. The kitchen felt a little chaotic as people figured out where they were best stationed on what felt like a factory line at times. The day was full of comments being thrown around the kitchen, like, who's got a spare chopping board? And who can help me lift this heavy box? And we've got 10 minutes still serving time. And who cooked the pork too thick to fit in the containers? That last one was me. The kitchen also felt fun though, like we were just at a Saturday afternoon barbecue full of extended relatives. So people you didn't know very well, but who were all lovely enough to spend a pleasant day with. Hello, my name is Lindsay. I would describe myself as quite driven, quite determined and motivated and pretty hard worker. I think I'm quite extroverted, which is, can sometimes be a bit annoying, I think. We are in the St. James College kitchen. So this is the place of our service on a Saturday afternoon. So we're here every Saturday afternoon preparing meals to take out into the community and give to those in need around Brisbane. Can you give me a bit of a 
brief background about what Diggin is. So Diggin was started by, there was a group of guys who were friends at uni and they saw a need for hot nutritional meals in Brisbane. So there are a lot of uh, charities that operate in Brisbane that hand out different kinds of food and things like that. There was a real sort of gap in a proper full hearty meal. There was a lot of snacky stuff or things that aren't particularly healthy and the vision behind Diggin was to hand out homemade sort of meals that you'd get cooked at home, you know, you have with your family or whatever. So the boys who started Dig In started doing exactly that and they would bulk prepare the food themselves and they'd come into the kitchen and cook, you know, huge spaghetti bolognese's and huge lasagnas and things like that and take them out and then hand them out at service. About a year into running Dig In, uh, Fair Share, we made contact with Fair Share, our food supplier, and they were happy to donate food to us, which makes life much easier. So we then collect the food from their big warehouse and then prepare it in our kitchen which saves us having to cook it all from scratch which is much more cost effective and time effective and yeah has meant that we've been able to continue you know with dig in it wouldn't have been able to that wouldn't have been sustainable unfortunately i just love the image of a group of essentially teenage boys getting in the kitchen and cooking like that's awesome very 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 cool and they were doing it with like their families they were just getting like their you know parents siblings cousins aunties uncles and things like that before obviously digging was what it is today before there were people that would um you know volunteers would put their name down it was just like these boys and their families and their friends really and it's kind of grown into this really lovely charity where we cycle through so many different people every week we have regulars that come a couple of times a month and then we've got generally at least three or four brand new people every week and how many meals are you doing anywhere between sort of 350 350 to 380 meals generally and who are you feeding who comes to actually collect the meals so we have a huge like a really really diverse range of people that come to our services so our service users we just say that our meals are for anybody in need so we say anybody who wants a meal because homelessness is such a broad term it can sort of mean anybody who's sleeping rough it can mean somebody who's couch surfing it can be somebody who's in you know unsafe sort of housing It can be somebody you know women in domestic violence situations things like that residential housing all sorts of things so it's vulnerable people in Brisbane that would lack a meal, that are in need of hot nutritional meal. Do you have funding for this? Uh, So we don't have any sort of direct funding. What we do is sort of sporadically we apply for different grants and things like that and we'll get a particular government grant of $10,000 or $15,000 or whatever. But Dig In runs on the generosity of our donors. We have lots of people that regularly donate weekly, monthly, fortnightly, and that's amazing and that's the reason we're able to keep doing this so if i pop a link in the show notes people can easily click on it and donate they definitely can and that would be lovely and always very much appreciated you know whether it's five dollars or five hundred dollars it's just lovely it's really nice that people want to give their money to us so that we can keep doing this because yeah that's how we keep going it's how we stay afloat you know it gives us the money to purchase our equipment and you know prepare our food and everything pay for the petrol that goes into the vans upkeep of eskies different things like that purchasing of containers and other packaging items that we use it's probably a good way for people who want to get involved but can't work in a kitchen or can't get to brisbane or can't go out and you know it's Mm. kind of a more accessible way for some people and of course not everybody's able to give financially either and but anybody who can it would be very lovely and yeah thank you in advance (laughs) 
how did you get involved? I lived overseas for a little while. I lived in the UK and I worked in a soup kitchen over there, volunteered in a soup kitchen over there. And I loved it so much. And it was the highlight of when I lived overseas. I just loved it. And I thought as when I move home, I want to do the same thing just because it brought me so much joy and just was the highlight of my week going to the soup kitchen. It really was. And so I just searched up soup kitchens in Brisbane and Diggin was the first one to come up and I registered as a volunteer and I just started as a just a general volunteer I'd come probably a couple of times a month gradually just gotten more and more and more involved Um, and now I work quite closely with a gentleman called Curtis who is one of the boys who started the charity who is still very heavily involved. Most people when they do like a gap year or a trip over to the UK don't volunteer at soup kitchens (laughs) most are busy working, socialising, travelling. Why did you volunteer in a soup kitchen over there? So I did do all of that as well. I did do the travelling and the socialising and the, you know, all of that stuff as well. I've always really loved helping people, I think. And I really, um, my mum is a social worker and I've always, I've just kind of always had that sort of environment of like, you know, you help people when there's people in need. Also, the homelessness in London is incredibly high and it's more sort of in your face than it is in places like Brisbane. We've definitely still, we've got a problem in Brisbane as well, but in London it's it's insane the homelessness is through the roof and it was so sad seeing so many people doing it rough and just asking for money on the streets and things like that and I thought I can give these people my change every time I see them and you know but what what's something I can do that can actually make a real difference and I thought well giving my time you know at a soup kitchen one night a week you know it's the very least I can do and it was great fun I made loads of friends and you know still keep in contact with some of those people. And what's your favourite thing about doing it here in Brisbane? Firstly, the people that I volunteer with. I've got a lot of close friends here now. I met my partner through Dig In, so like it's a really lovely community of, of people and it's coming down and hanging out with your friends in the kitchen for a couple of hours on a Saturday. Like It's really, really good fun. Secondly, what I get back from you know, the joy that I see and the, you know, the gratitude when we, when we hand out our meals to our service users, uh, the thanks from them, you know, and the conversations that we have with them, like that is something that is priceless. That is just amazing to know that we made a difference in their day to day. One third of Australians apparently volunteer. Why do you think it's so popular? Like that's, that's a massive number of people. It is. Yeah, it's more a higher number than I thought actually. I think maybe sometimes people do get involved in, you know, because they feel that they should or it's the right thing to do or whatever, but people stay volunteering because of how much you get out of it personally. It really does honestly feel selfish sometimes because, you know, I say, oh, you know, I volunteer at a soup kitchen, whatever, and people go, oh, wow, you must be such a good person, whatever. But as I said just before, I get to come down to the kitchen, hang out with friends for a few hours, cook a few meals and go out and hand them out to people and have people, you know, be so thankful and, you know, just to see that how much a hot meal means to somebody. Like it really, you leave with your cup, your emotional cup so full. That feeling is is lovely. And I think that's why people just keep wanting to keep coming back and that's why so many people volunteer. It's brilliant for your mental health. It's a great way to meet people. It's just a really nice way to spend your time if you've got the time. And I know not everybody does and that's, you know, absolutely fair. We can only do work within our limits. I decided to corner a few of the volunteers in the kitchen to hear about their experience volunteering at Diggin. We're the Shepherd family. So we have Annette, Neil and Sarah from Brisbane. 
So you come every Saturday to help out? For us, we do it about once a month in general. So out of the three of you, whose idea was it to start doing this? I think it was Sarah who came up with the idea about thinking about doing something good at Christmas, you know, to help others. And then we realised, well, this happens every day, you know, is it helping people with food and the like. So we decided to volunteer and, and I think we did do it a little bit over Christmas as well. Because mm-hmm. at Christmas time they have a, um, they have a shortage of people because people are on holidays. So it just worked out and then we've just kept doing it from there. That Christmas you thought, I want to do something. What went through your mind then? Usually we had gone away on Christmases. But we're kind of at the stage where families moving around on different dates, so we tend to do Christmas on a different date. And so when we had our Christmas, it was just us. So we thought, well, there are a lot of people out there who aren't even fortunate enough to have that. So we have the opportunity where we don't have family commitments on the day and we like spending time with each other anyway. So why don't we make something of that and actually give back that day when a lot of people just can't. And then we just, yeah. we just came home and we had our own sort of, you know, Christmas dinner. Yeah. But, but that's, that's how it actually sort of started. Awesome. That actually sounds like a lovely Christmas. It was a little bit sad, but <laughs> the thing is that we made it really good and we made, we made, it, we made it great, yeah. We we're very united and so this is a great sort of, you know, thing for us to do, you know, for each other, but also, you know, to help somebody out. We come as a pack, so it's a lot of fun, you know, so, uh, and you get to meet nice people here as well, so, yeah, it's fantastic. Sarah and Neil have this little running competition that they do when, they, when they're sort of on the line together. So, um, you know, Sarah critiques her dad and what, how much he, he puts in and how he chops things up so that's always a little bit funny because like she inevitably takes exactly what he's done and just refines it so it's it's always it's a fun we have a really great time and we laugh and I think that you know as a family as Neil said you know we come as a pack but we just really like each other and we have a great time. Well thank you very much for uh, taking the time to talk to me and I will let you get back to work <laughs> to do you. more important things. <laughs> he could not have run away fast <laughs> enough. <laughs> My name is Sharon and I've been volunteering for probably about four years now. And so you've been here nearly as long as it's, it's actually been, been going on. Running. So I think it was up and running for about a year or so before I came on board. Yeah, so it's been quite a, a journey. <laughs> yeah, it's quite fun. What's fun about it? Because it, it's, it's work, right? It can get challenging at times. I mean, we're dealing with people, obviously, that do need the food, hence why we you know provide that service you know their frustration and their anger and things like that transitions to to us has it changed your view of people and how people live or were you already kind of aware of the issue of of homelessness and and the struggles that some people have yeah over the years i've obviously learnt more it's opened my eyes a lot more understanding become patient and you know just really get to understand someone's sort of journey and and the struggles that they're facing. I've brought my son here to sort of experience that because we're quite lucky that you know we can travel with you know our children they can see what's out there you know you want to sort of share that experience and you know and, and let them know that they're quite fortunate but you know let's lend a helping hand to the less fortunate. Yeah. Also, you were a bit of a gun in the kitchen. You, you, oh, you, I am? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were all <laughs> over like, it. I'm a bossy. Yeah. My husband no, calls me bossy. Way. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. No, oh, yeah. it's a good way. I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, that's the manager over there. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> I always say to everyone, like, I come home. Every time I, I come from digging, I just want to sort of crash and, you know, have some really, really good junk food and then just crash because I've sort of had it for the day. But, yeah, but it's a good, it's a good day. Hi, I'm Cindy. This is my first time volunteering with Diggin. Is it your last time as well? No, definitely not. Almost over for today though, and I'm thankful. 
And have you ever done any other volunteering before? No, first time all, on all counts. And what was your highlight from volunteering today? I don't think it's happened yet. I think it's the people part that I'll enjoy the most. Packing containers is fine, you know, that it needs to be done. I look forward to meeting people and handing them out and maybe hearing some people's stories. I do have one serious question. Was it you that cut the pork so thick I couldn't fit it in the container? No, definitely not. Mine were paper thin. Did you not see those ones? No, they must have gone to one of the other packers. Yeah, I was on the other side. Perfect sliced pork the whole time. Well, the mystery continues. It will be solved before the end of the day. <laughs> Who did the pork so Who? so thick it doesn't fit in a container? Just <laughs> some watermelon. Yeah, that'd be great. Yes, yeah. please. Yeah, thank you. Just two. One two, two, two. Thank you, sweetheart. No worries. Enjoy. Don't have any more mind meal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how did we go today? Yeah, no, it was. Uh, this is what I would call a successful day. I do always say that at the end of the day, as long as the meals go out, that's the main thing. As long as we get our meals to service on time and we feed the people that are here, that's the biggest thing. And so whatever else goes on behind the scenes, it's kind of not the end of the world. But today, no, today was good. We had a lot of people, enough people to get through everything, got out to service on time, things like that. So no, good day today. And all the meals went, which is also a win. It's always a bit lame if you've got leftover meals and we've got to try and find somewhere for them to go or yeah so it's good that all the meals went so we prepared the right amount of food. Was this your usual crowd? Yes I would say so yeah 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 most of these people are regulars yeah yeah they're here every week. Uh, I have a really important question for you how did I do? Very well. Never seen a new volunteer pick it up as quickly as you did. <laughs> you know people sometimes are a bit like scared to kind of yeah like a bit nervous about what to do or whatever but it's just getting in and helping and you did that so that was awesome so tonight we served roast pork with sweet potato slash pumpkin mash and a Mexican kind of combination of veggies and then we had a side of sort of uh, diced apple and watermelon but it was an interesting combination of food tonight as a staple for the food that we normally serve we get some kind of meat and then some kind of veggies to go with it and you had vegetarian options we did yes we did we always make sure to have veggie options so we get several people ask for vegetarian options particularly at our other location and the one in west end also some people can't eat pork for you know religious or cultural reasons and it's just good to be able to you know we like to be able to cater for as many people as possible there'll always be the one person or two people that'll say oh I don't like that I don't want that and that's fair enough one thing that I noticed that I found quite interesting because I've been on the road for about 14 weeks and I haven't yeah. really had a very relaxing three months yeah I also really enjoyed working like being around people being productive and I was yeah. like oh cool I'm actually useful but it was also working without like knowing you're gonna get fired or there's a boss over your shoulder so it's almost like a fun way to yeah. feel useful even if you don't think about the end users it was just nice to move mm be productive and not have a boss breathing down your neck. We have a lot of people with jobs in like very intense fields, you know, like we have lawyers and, and people like that. Um, we had, you know, a handful of like the medical profession. It's like a bit of a breather. It's not an intense environment. There's no, it can get a little bit stressful if we're like behind schedule or whatever, but it's very laid back and very casual. And it's just about getting the meals in containers and then out to service. It's, it's fun, it's social. Curtis and I, talk a lot about how to keep 
you know, cultivate a really positive and warm culture at Dig In because we want people to keep coming back. We're not just kind of come once and then like not again for six months. We want people to want to be here. So before I said one third of Australians volunteer and I asked you why you think it's so popular. Mm. My next question is why don't more people volunteer, do you think? I think probably time's the biggest thing. We are so busy, particularly as Australians. You know, we work, we study, we have families, we have partners. It is it is hard to find the time, it really is. Maybe people as well not knowing how. Reaching out to organisations and charities and asking what you can do to help is the best way to kind of work through that, I suppose, but probably time. But, you know, there's other ways to give. There's different things you can do, whether it's donating, food, money, clothes, services, whatever. How do you think working here and and also the soup kitchen back in London as well how has it changed the way you viewed people yeah look I've definitely met people that I wouldn't have interacted with otherwise and same goes for many of the volunteers here it's definitely changed my view of the world I think in a in a couple of ways firstly it can be quite confronting and a little bit harrowing to see how many people are in need that is always a bit takes you back a little bit and that's sad and that's a hard thing to kind of process but then on the other side of that then you have all the wonderful people that choose to volunteer and that's like oh wow there's so many good people in this world that want to spend their Saturdays cooking meals for people and that is awesome and you know our service users the people that come that we that we provide meals to are some of the most beautiful people I've met as well just the the loveliest warmest kindest gentle souls that always want to know how you're going how your week's been they always want to have a chat you know thank you for your time and your service and and that's so lovely that's changed my view of the world definitely you've got sort of two sides of the coin the sad part of you know the fact that we are needed as a service that that's you know awful ideally soup kitchens wouldn't be needed because everybody would have enough food but seeing kind of yeah the people that want to come and volunteer and then getting to interact with the service users and just seeing how wonderful they are is is really really like heartwarming and beautiful as well one thing that really stood out today was it was the end of the shift we'd given away all of the food Mm -hmm. there was nothing left a guy rocked up and he was like i'm late i'm sorry is there anything left and we're like oh no sorry like there's some fruit and then that old man that came up really quiet I want to say he was like I don't know 110 years old (laughs) and he quietly kind of shuffled up behind him tapped him on the shoulder and and handed him his meal and that was just beautiful yeah he's lovely he's a lovely lovely man he's one of our long-standing regulars he's been using our service for a long time and has had a very hard life himself and it's so lovely and he's done that many times he will be the first one to hand out a meal if he's had if he's got more than he needs or even if he's only got two and somebody asks for a meal and we don't have any left he will go and give his second meal or his only meal like he is just wonderful and we see things like that all the time and it's just this beautiful show of like humanity and just like generosity and you just think oh god these people they have so little and yet like you know they're so happy to go around sharing and it changes your perspective you know you come in on a Saturday you know I come in stressed about a uni assignment or you know I've had the worst week because work whatever and then you go to service and you see things like that and you just think oh god it's not worth it. It's not worth stressing over, is it? We don't often have negative things happen. We have had a handful just because of the nature of what we do. There will be the odd 
service user who is upset because somebody has more meals than them or something the good stories far outweigh the negative ones like I've got so many lovely stories from service users that come up to us and you know say oh thank you so much you you have no idea what this means you know like I didn't know when I was going to get my next meal or we have this lovely older gentleman who came just this once and and really struggled and anyway he pointed out where he lived to us and it was only right around the corner and so now what we do at that service location is we take a bag of meals to him sort of 10 minutes before we leave every time we go up to his door and just kind of you know drop them drop them off for him and he is the loveliest the loveliest older gentleman he's just so sweet and he is so grateful every single time and always wants to invite us in and get us to share a meal with him and we always have to say no no look it's all good like thank you but no and just to see what it means to him and I mean it's literally 100 meters from where we serve it's not far at all it's just you know we just go around the back of his house knock on his door and hand them hand over the meals remembers all our names you know shakes our hands tells us how yeah how much it means how thankful he is and that's really lovely that may not be about the food that may be about it might be about company but it also might just be about somebody or a group of people are actually going out of their way it's kind of saying to someone you are special you are worthy you are worth the extra time and that I think is incredible in itself and moving because I believe that not everybody has people in their life that will go out of their way for them. I, I agree with you. I think it's more about the fact that we go to that effort for him and that means so much to him. And, you know, it's nothing out of our day. You know, it's five minutes to just walk up the road and drop some meals off. But what that means to him, you know, it carries so much more weight for him. It's something that's really important is the conversation. So we try to not make it just that it's a robotic handing over of meals. We try to engage people in conversation, ask them how they're going. And that's generally very easy because our service users all ask us how we are and you know it, it flows quite easily. It's not just providing them with some food, it's engaging them in a conversation and showing them that people care and that is you know arguably as important as the food really you know showing people that there are people that care about them and that people that want to know how they're doing and also feed them at the same time and that's true the other way around too for the volunteers you know you said that the service users the regulars know you by name and will ask you how you are like that's exactly the same like I'm not just a vending machine that hands you food I'm also a human so it's that two-way interaction and acknowledgement and kind of human connection yeah definitely I've had service users come up to me and say oh Lindsay how did that assignment go that you had due last week and I think oh my goodness I don't even remember that assignment and they just really want to know how you're going and that's exactly right it's as much you know reminding us as much as them about yeah that we're both humans on either side and you know we all need that love and that connection and that time and it's really lovely it's really nice way to kind of connect with people what really surprised me on this trip I went to Victoria and South Australia first the economic crisis at the moment and and the cost of living and all that is huge in the media right now it's kind of big election thing and I still every campground I stayed at every caravan park I was shocked by the number of people permanently living in tents And the homelessness that I saw in South Australia and Victoria, it actually really shocked me. All I can say is, yeah, it's shocking. And to see that firsthand is is really hard. Generally, you know, most of us are so so lucky and so privileged. And we, you know, it's not something we've ever really had to think about. And you don't, you probably wouldn't think about it until it's right in front of your face. And you go camping and whatever, and you notice and you go, oh, these people permanently live here. Wow, that must be so hard. And... 
I think for a lot of people that can be the catalyst that then makes them go, okay, I want to do something. Now I've seen it with my own eyes. Reading it on the media, I think, you know, we consume so much media every day. I think it's one thing to read about it and go, oh yeah, that's really sad. Oh yeah, yep, yep, you know. But actually see it, it's like, oh, you just go, wait, these are real people. It's not just numbers on a page it's real people it's kids it's single mums it's oh it's it's heartbreaking whole families couples and it's yeah it's really it's really sad and I think also because it was so out of context you know like Mm. living in Sydney I expect to see Mm. people sleeping rough in King's Cross I expect to see people at Central Station yeah no it's it's kind of enough to make you go oh wow these are people just like me that maybe have had lost their job or got kicked out of their house, went through a divorce. Yeah, women in, you know, DV relationships, things like that. People just like us that have just been hit by blows of unluckiness and just ended up in those situations. I also think a society that's just really hard to keep up with, you know, like if you have an illness, be it physical or mental health, and you're expected to show up at work at exactly nine on the dot if you're five minutes late you're going to get in trouble if you're 10 minutes late you're going to fight like it's we've created this system that's really impossible for some people to fit into no I would completely agree with you we have this kind of expectation society you know we've got this mold that we've got to fit into and not everybody can as you say different kind of impairments yeah disabilities mental health other illnesses yeah trauma all sorts of things it's really hard it's a really really hard to succeed in society when you've been dealt really tough cards you've constantly got to yeah be earning enough money and you know paying all your bills and everything and it's just yeah not everybody is able to do that and I would say we had a larger proportion of people who had a visible disability in Q today for food that really stood out to me so again people that would find it harder to you know access a regular income yeah unfortunately we see that a lot uh, we hear from a lot of our service users uh, mental health uh, like mental illnesses that are a big factor as well people who have migrated here and then struggled and not been able to find a job so what's the answer oh god the impossible question i don't think there's one answer and i think that's what makes it so hard lowering the cost of living which is not something i have any control over unfortunately i have a really busy life i work two jobs and i'm a full-time student as well and making time for digging is sometimes hard. And every time I come, I'm like, oh, thank, I'm so glad I came today. There's nothing like coming and spending an afternoon with like-minded people who've also given up their Saturday. And we get a lot of young people as well. Mm. We had a 17-year-old boy here this afternoon mm. volunteering with us. I mean, he's in year 11, and I'm sure there's a million other things he could be doing, you know, that are more sort of, you know, quote-unquote fun than being in a kitchen. But he loves coming here as well, like just to connect with people that also care about making a difference. Well, thank you for having me. I think I was partially helpful, but also potentially in the way. So I really appreciate you opening the door for yet another stranger who's coming in. I really appreciate it. And I had a lot of fun and it was really nice to feel useful for a day. You were a great help. It's always lovely to have somebody, a new face in the kitchen. And I hope we didn't work you too hard today. You weren't cutting the pork at least. So that's that was probably, you probably escaped the worst of it. Thank you so much for coming down. It was wonderful to have you. I, I do think I'm the best watermelon cutter. <laughs> I just, I noticed other people. So I was like, I don't know. <laughs> some of them are definitely a bit questionable. We get some questionable sized, yeah, cuts of watermelon, but yours were the best, definitely. <laughs> you can say that because you never saw my watermelon. <laughs> Wow, 
I had a good day today. I am super tired though. My feet are killing me. My lower back is killing me. My hip, the one that I pulled dancing for episode one, is still sore. <laughs> but I was on my feet for about seven hours, I think, without a rest, which is a lot when you're in your third trimester. It did feel good working though. Mostly I just loved chatting to the people I met today. Although they all worked hard and fast, they did it with a smile and a laugh and a joke or two. I once had a therapist say that there is no such thing as altruism. I think her point was that even when we do something seemingly for selfless reasons, it's often to make us feel good. So it's therefore no longer altruistic. But I wonder if it can just be both, right? If it can be both selfless and selfish in the one moment. The people I worked with at dig in today. They could have spent their Saturday afternoon doing anything else. They could have been swimming, shopping, napping, literally anything else. But they chose to work in a hot kitchen. Even if that therapist is right, I'm glad that there are people like Lindsay, Cindy, Sharon, the Shepherd family, and all the volunteers at dig in, and actually volunteers everywhere else in this country, who have chosen to spend their time helping other people, even if it is just to make themselves feel good. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. Hey, I want to, to debrief my time with the Diggin crew. I wanted to talk to a friend who has been on the other side of a food service, so someone who's used one to get a meal. So I called Lisa, not the same Lisa that you met in episode six. This is a different Lisa. So you've used free food services before. I have. When and why was that? Oh, it was a number of years ago, probably throughout my. 20s and 30s and even into my 40s did I access emergency relief and for a variety of reasons so gosh 30 years ago I was and I still am I was a single mum I had a very young child money was scarce and I also was living with substance abuse issues at the same time so I had even less money to kind of uh, do the things that I needed to because unfortunately I was in that space of addiction where my priorities were not always where I would have liked them to be. In my 40s, I had entered into recovery. I was no longer using any drugs or drinking any alcohol, but what had occurred was all of those years living very closely to the poverty line because of my substance abuse, I had really struggled to have any kind of financial intelligence. You know, I really didn't know how to budget. I really struggled with paying bills. And I actually had gotten myself a job and I had a career that I was starting in, but I still, the cost of raising these two young girls on, you know, a, a wage that I was getting, I was still able to access some financial assistance from the government, but it was still, it was a really uh, difficult time. So up until my 40s, I still access those services and I'm in my 50s now. But I guess you're also kind of starting from zero. Like I remember when I came back from Europe, I had no money. It took me a while to get a job. I needed money so I could pay bond first of all. you got to pay like bond and then a couple of weeks rent in advance. And the only way I could do that 
was couch surfing, then then I had to save whatever money I had in order just to get a house. So that's when I started using food services or dumpstering. Like I did a lot of kind of eating out of bins essentially. But if you're starting with zero, like it's actually, it takes a fair bit to get ahead in life. And you had kids as well. And I came into recovery with debt Mm. and unfortunately collected some more along the way. So that that financial literacy that you talk about just then, it was something that I I just didn't possess at the time. And I think even, you know, even to this day, the lasting impacts of that near 25 years of my life where I used drugs and alcohol and lots of trauma and all the stuff that goes with that, you also have you know, the lasting impacts are that I haven't, for instance, I don't have 30 years worth of super. I don't own my own home. So essentially in 2010, not to be dramatic or anything, but it's like I was born again. And you're absolutely right. I started with nothing and I had to create what I have today through lots of hard work. And what we know is an ongoing financial crisis that we have in this country and uh, you know the cost of living is just exploding and I live up here on the far north coast so we've had devastating floods fires you chuck COVID into that as well like renting up here is extraordinarily difficult now still still Mm. 18 months on from the flood what's happening up in the northern rivers with the homelessness with yes there would have been a lot of job loss with the floods like I'm sure there's a lot of people in the area doing it tough and now we're potentially going into another summer with more floods and fires so when are people really going to get ahead Uh, and I think that that's an incredibly accurate snapshot of kind of my life so I currently work for an NGO managing two youth homelessness services. So essentially the ages that we're supporting young people are from 12 to 25 uh, who are homeless or at risk of homelessness. Although I haven't accessed any emergency relief for a number of years, I still see and hold space for the people that do. And we are seeing a lot of young people who are presenting with complexities that were there prior to the most recent event up here, which was the floods in in 2022, are now exacerbated by what's actually happening in the region. So we, we lost a lot of properties up here. A lot of homes were lost as a result of the flood. But what I can say for this region is that it is incredibly community minded So what we saw, particularly through the floods, was these community organisations just stepping up and out and into the community, and they're still going. There is still services that uh, are providing flood relief, for example, and they are continuing to do that. So these are country people. The amount of young people who, again, 12 to 25, who, as you mentioned earlier, 
are either too young that they haven't, <laughs> they're too young to even have to worry about where does my next meal come from, right, those mm. really young ones. But even as you get into that older cohort, that potentially there is in the background what's played out is mental health and AOD stuff for the family or the carers that they've been with. And so they haven't had the opportunity or they were never provided the opportunity uh, to to learn those most Oh, look, I was going to say basic life skills, but I actually think it's much more complex, especially if you're, like you say, we're kind of in a time where there is a financial crisis across, you know, the country. You're also not born with those financial literacy skills, you know, like it's not, it's not like, or or, or like walking or crawling or something that children seem to innately do. That's right. I don't know whether it comes from the privilege of never having to access any services or be in that world that people kind of make up in their heads that once you get to a certain age, you should understand and you should know how to make a dollar and save a dollar. And unfortunately, there's a huge number within our population uh, that don't have that. There is a financial crisis that's happening, whether you're in a, a region like yours that has actually gone through a major crisis recently. But just in general, I think people are doing it really tough. And even though a meal might only cost 10, 20 bucks, it's still that you don't have to think about that meal or you don't have to worry about that meal or you don't have to skip that meal. And even yeah. though it might not be life-changing to get a single meal, it can just free you up to allow you to do other things, I think. The thing that sort of comes up for me when, when you say that is you're right, it's about not having to worry about that meal or not worrying, having to worry about having some milk in the fridge for your kids or some fruit in a bowl or whatever it is. But it's also like it's incredibly humbling, embarrassing, shameful when, you know, you as a person maybe aren't able to kind of manage what society tells us are the most basic things that we should know how to do. And I think when we have services like the Healing Hub or the Curry Mail or any, like even services like the one that, that I currently work for, it really is about attempting to minimise the impacts of that shame, that embarrassment and and hold the space for that person. The other thing about food... Right, and, I'm, and I keep referring to just food because that was, I guess, the day yes. that I spent. Like food in particular is not just about necessity, right? Like it is, it is about necessity and that we need food yeah. to stay alive. But humans also use food as ways of welcoming people into our homes. We use it to celebrate, to commiserate. We use it as gifts. We use it as ways to share culture. And because of this, I wonder if offering people in need food is more than just helping them get their daily nutrient intake. I wonder if it's also just a way to make a connection and to offer generosity and kindness and love to somebody as well, which I think might come back to your idea of it helps to heal that shame. Oh, 100%. And I particularly, I think of the food banks and the food shelter, the, the places where people can actually go and get a meal because there in that is that, that space for connection. And the thing that we know about healing is the connections at the centre of that. We don't heal in isolation. So when we're talking about you know, food being so much more than nutrients in the body, we're also extending that to how people heal in community, in connection with others. Having the capacity to cook a meal for a loved one or to show that, I mean, we know 
what that does for us being able to do that and we we know what it's like well I know what it's like being on the opposite end of that having that done for me and so I think that you're spot on in that it is more than food it absolutely is more than food and it's also food is also such a pleasure that we have right like even if you're sick or you're stressed like it's a pleasure yeah Absolutely. And I also, again, I come back to healing when I think about how being able to eat good, nutritious food is incredibly healing. And we see for people that are on that, they're living on the poverty line, is that often they don't have the finances to to go and get all of that, you know. It's cheaper to go and get some two-minute noodles than it is to buy yourself the ingredients for a salad. Yeah, a bowl of soft drink is cheaper than... Anything else in a supermarket. Yeah, it is. You're right, it's cheaper than water. Yeah, so it's all of that stuff as well. And do you think things are changing much? Like you said you used these services years ago. Are things changing? Are they getting better? Are they different? Are they the same? Are they worse? Stuff's changed, Kai, but I don't know if it's changed enough. I think for me, I think the sadness comes around, well, how do people get ahead if all we're able to provide is the bare minimum? Yeah, I don't have the answer to that. I was hoping you'd give me the answer to all of these issues. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say, uh, what is the answer? I feel like these services, like the vouchers and the the food services, I do feel like that's a Band-Aid. Oh, so how do we how, how do create we? financial independence or wealth for somebody who has never had that? Yeah. And for, for large so, numbers of people. Oh, gosh. For me, it's provide housing that so we have housing options right that is if a person is able to access community or government housing they pay a percentage of their rent we're not a poor country why couldn't we have 12 months housing where there is no rent and that person gets case managed and upskilled and they're provided with training to be able to go and have a career or you say that 25% of the, of the money that you were going to put towards rent... Goes into a savings. Put into account. savings. Yeah. So that at the end of that 12 months, they have 12 months, and it wouldn't be a lot, Christ, but it would be something. And in that 12 months, they don't have to worry about anything other than upskilling, doing whatever it is for them. One other thing that makes me really angry. <laughs> Apparently in Australia, we throw out 7.6 million tonnes of food each yeah. year. They reckon it's about 1.3 billion tonnes of food that gets thrown out annually around the world. It makes me furious that there is enough food on this planet for all humans. Billions of tonnes gets thrown into landfill while there are people who are literally starving. Now, in Australia, we don't have as many people starving, but we certainly have a lot of people skipping meals, being hungry, not having enough nutritious meals, and yet we're throwing out millions of tonnes of food. Humans just have it so wrong. And, like, even when I used to dumpster for food, the dumpsters would be locked. Sometimes they'd throw chemicals on the food so the people couldn't take it out. It's like, so why why can it go to landfill and not humans? Like, it's just bizarre. And that's why services such as Food Bank are incredibly beneficial for the people that we're talking about today, but there's not enough of them and they're not everywhere. And you mean like Oz Harvest and those kind of organisations yeah. that collect the food? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. They're the people, right? The people that start as grassroots organisations because they see a need and they want to address it. 
that, yeah, there's not enough. Mm. Um, and we would rather lock the bins and poison the food so that the people that need it can't get to it. I'm going to be outrageous for a second. And that's because, as a nation, we don't like to look truthfully at what is right in front of us. But as individuals, and I'm going to even talk about myself here, like, first of all, some of the food stuff, like, the amount of food I throw out is shameful. And also, like, I'm probably guilty of walking down the street, seeing somebody who's homeless or doing it tough and, and looking away. And not always. Like, my sisters always laugh at me because when they see somebody on the street, they know I'm going to go over and see if they're okay or whatever. But there are times when I look away from an issue because it's too hard or too confronting or too uncomfortable or I don't have time. Yeah, I think the I, I don't have time one is probably the thing that comes up the most for people is that I don't have time to stop. I don't have time to, yeah, that resonated with me. Or I don't have the skills or there are other people who can do it better than me I think is another one as well. Like yeah. What, yeah. what am I going to do? I'm not the kind of person that can help. And I think that's probably true for maybe volunteering yeah. or the grassroots organisations. Like there's probably a lot of people who want to get involved, but they think I don't have the skills or I don't know how or somebody else will do it or somebody else will do it better than me. Or My experience is that people feel like they have to give something up in order to give something. And that is the absolute untruth of it all, right? To be able to... And so that is for whether we stop and say, check in on that person that's doing it rough on the street or we stop and say something when we see something that's not okay, when we see someone being abused in the street or whatever. It, it, it all kind of comes back to stop hiding behind your privilege and that doesn't mean you have to be rich. It doesn't even have to mean that you're white. It just has to mean that you acknowledge that you have some level of privilege in your life that affords you to not be in the experience of those people that you don't want to see. Can I just say, you are an incredibly impressive human being. Oh, thank you. To come from addiction, single parenting, to now working in services, supporting other people who are in similar situations to what you were, taking care of your grown-up kids still, really connected to your mob, a really good advocate. Yeah, I'm incredibly grateful. It's been hard work, but I also think that it is all down to people who looked past the trauma, past the chaos, past the victim mentality that I had because that's all I understood and told me that I could do, and not even better, it was just, if you stop doing this one thing that you're doing to attempt to annihilate yourself and kill yourself every day, your life will change. When we're talking about the people that we've been talking about today, the human beings that access the services that we work in or whatever it is, if we can remember at the core that their lives can be different if they're given the opportunity to change. And if you want to donate to Diggin, there's a link in the show notes. This podcast was created by me, Kai Noonan. Audio production by Harry Hughes. Script editing and advising by Adam Hughes. Check us out on Instagram. Just search Towards Connection.